Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. John chapter 11. All right, let's study uh, scripture together. It'll be up on the screen. Starting in verse one. Now, if you didn't get your Bible reading in uh, this week, we fixing to get it in right now. So uh, I'm gonna read several verses of scripture. So just follow along and, uh, and we'll be good. It says this, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And verse three, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And when he heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. Now, if you wanna underline something, why don't you underline that right there? We're gonna get back to that in, in a few minutes. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, now watch this, verse five. Now, Jesus loved Martha, he loved her sister, and he loved Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed exactly right where he was for two more days. That's interesting. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you wanna go back? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. And after he said this, they went on to tell them, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And the disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then in verse 14, he told them plainly, listen guys, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thanks, Thomas. We can always count on you for a great word of encouragement, right? He's not talking about Lazarus. He's talking about Jesus because he still thinks, Jesus, if we go back there, those people are gonna stone you. So basically what he's saying is fine. All right, they're gonna kill you. They might as well just kill us too. Let's just go back. You know what I mean? At least, I, I would say this, at least we all need a friend like that. You know what I mean? A friend that's just willing to go down with us, you know? Like if it's all ending, I'm just gonna be right there with you, okay? So on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, four days is actually very significant right here in this passage. Let me just spend just a minute kind of unpacking four days for you because it does serve some significance. The custom at this time um, in the world, especially in this uh, area, was that uh, the deceased would be buried within the first 24 hours of passing away. And back then, because there's no medical practitioners to actually declare a person officially dead, when, when someone would, would quote unquote die, people were very hurried to, to bury them in that first 24 hours. But occasionally what would happen during uh, this day and age is that someone would fall ill and their breathing would become so shallow that you thought they were dead. And there were literally reported stories of people who had been put in caskets and as they're being carried away to being buried in the ground, all of a sudden their body is resuscitated in the casket. And it's like, oh man, Uncle Bob wasn't dead, okay? So like, can I just pause right there and say my worst nightmare? Can you imagine like waking up and you're in a box? Freaking out, right? And so apparently this happened you know, quite frequently, right? And so it led to a number of Jewish theories, and this was kind of the Jewish theory back then, that when a person dies, uh, that perhaps their soul hovers over their body for a period of about three days. But then once the 
the, the, the body starts to look different. In other words, once decomposition starts to set in and the soul doesn't recognize the body anymore after three days, then it departs and it kind of goes on, right? This was the superstition, right? So, so when Jesus waits four days, there's actually a good reason he waits because Jesus, I'm not saying Jesus is buying into any of this superstition, but what Jesus knows is if I heal Lazarus after two days, there's gonna be some cynical, skeptical people in the crowd that are gonna be like, oh, well, I mean, it was just two days. That's impressive, but it's not that impressive. It's just two days, right? So Jesus waits till four days so that he makes perfectly clear to everyone who's gonna be able to watch this and hear about this, that he has the power to raise people from the dead. So he waits, right? He wants spectacular certainty of Lazarus' death so that everyone can see his power. Verse 18, now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I love verse 22. Boy, do I love it. But I know that even now, someone say even now. I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Can I just say this church? I wanna be a believer with even now faith. Even now faith. Even when it looks like my circumstance cannot get any worse and I am at the last straw, but yet even now, God could do a miracle, even now. I know I just got let go from the job and I don't know where any resource is coming from, but even now he can supply everything that I need and take care of us. I know my relationships look like they're following, falling apart and, and, and I don't have really anyone I can feel like I can trust right now. And, and I'm in the middle of a lot of real, real serious issues and problems in all of my friendships and relationships, but yet even now you can bring someone to my side that can be a comforter and a help in this moment, even now, I love Martha's faith. She's like, yeah, it would have been great if you could have been here a couple days ago. We were all really hoping for that. But yet even now, I know that you can do something. Even now, even now. I could have entitled this message even now, but I didn't. So we're gonna keep moving. <laughs> Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the son of God who is to come into the world. Verse 28, after she said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly, she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and he saw the Jews who had come along with her, they were also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Verse 34, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then in verse 35, it's the shortest verse that we see in our Bible and, and people have often you know, speculated about it. And it says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. A lot of people view this and, and, and they're like, well, why? I mean, isn't that the big question? Why are you crying, right? Like you literally came here to raise him from the dead. You know what you're fixing to do. Why are you crying about it? Why are you, why, why are you crying? Jesus wept. 
Listen, I wrote this down. Maybe this will help some of us. Just because Jesus can fix it doesn't mean he doesn't feel it. Like we serve a God who knows what pain is. Like Jesus knows what hurt is. Jesus knows what betrayal is. Jesus knows what loss is. Jesus knows what adversity is. Some of us have thought, well, why did he weep? Let me, let me also throw this out. Maybe potentially, maybe the reason he weeps is because he sees how death is affecting us. Maybe he sees how it's affecting his friends. And as he sees them mourn, maybe he's moved for them. Like, have you ever had a child, for those of us who have children, you ever had a child that was so sick and, and, and like to where it was like you were moved for them? Like you begin to cry and you begin to feel an emotion for them. Like you're not even sick, it's not even you that's dealing with the sickness or the whatever, but just because you see the way that it's affecting them, you begin to have an emotion about it, maybe even weep over them. And you know that you can take them to the doctor and the doctor can give them something and fix it up, but it doesn't excuse the fact that they're in a painful place right now, right? Just because you know there's a better tomorrow doesn't escape the reality of pain and hurt today. And just because Jesus can fix it doesn't mean he doesn't feel it. He feels it, and he feels it in this moment for these people as they mourn, and he sees, he sees firsthand, not like he hadn't seen it before, but he sees again right now just exactly what sin and death does to human beings. And he gets a little emotional over it because he hates it, and he hates that it's causing people to feel this way. And ultimately, that's why he came to be victorious over all of it, so that there will come a day when we are with him where you will never shed another tear for all eternity and he'll have taken care of all of that. Verse 36, look at this. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Speaking of Jesus, looking at Lazarus, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he open, who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sisters of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Tonight, if you're taking notes uh, during our teaching together this evening as we walk through this passage in John chapter 11, I've just entitled uh, this message, the one that he loves. The one that he loves, the one that you love. Why don't we pray? We're gonna get into it tonight. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for scripture, Lord. May it be an encouragement to all of us tonight, God. And as I've already said before, I pray that we leave here tonight with a greater understanding, really truthfully, the full measure of your love towards us because there is truthfully nothing like it. God, we love you. We honor you tonight. We honor the reading of your word and, and how you're gonna speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Amen. The one that you love. 
So as you saw in that picture uh, just a minute ago, I'm now uh, the proud father of a couple of boys. And my oldest boy, Jude, he's now five years old. And uh, he's just now getting to that age where he is starting to test the limits of like the daredevil side of himself. Now he's a pretty cautious uh, little boy, I'll, I'll tell you that, but he's just starting to unpack some of the daredevil stuff. Like he's starting to wanna jump off stuff and uh, slide down stuff. He's starting to wanna do all, all of those types of things, just little boy stuff, I would imagine, right? And this past Christmas, um, you know, he's watching a bunch of different Christmas videos and movies all during the month of December, but for the very first time ever, he saw the movie Home Alone. Anyone like the movie Home Alone, okay? Like the original, good old-fashioned, first one, Home Alone, right? Fell in love with the movie Home Alone. Thought it was hilarious. In fact, I truthfully think it was like the first like actual like people, like non-cartoon film that like he wanted to watch over and over and over. He just thought it was hilarious, right? And so he started wanting to do all the tricks and the little schemes that are in the movie and all those, you know, little, little things that, you know, Macaulay Culkin's character would set up to like trick the bad guys. And all. He, he thought all that was hilarious. And so literally the other day I'm walking around our house and right there in the main kind of stretch of hallway between like the living room and the kitchen where I'm about to put him to bed and I see him, he is putting like all types of figurines and blocks and toys like all over the ground. And I'm like, bro, what are you doing? We gotta go to bed. You gotta pick all this up. What are you doing? And he looked back at me and he said, dad, this is here so that people will trip and fall. <laughs> My first thought was, well, I appreciate your honesty. My second thought was, I'm really afraid to get some water from the kitchen at night now. I'm gonna trip on a puppy dog pal and kill myself. So, you know, like, like this is what he's into now. He's into like just this fun daredevil, people having accidents kind of stuff, right? Please pray for me, y'all. If I come into church in a couple weeks with a broken arm, you will know what happened. You know what I mean? It's dangerous around my house. And so here he is. But imagine Jude's doing all of this stuff. He's testing the limits now of all the things that he's into. Imagine if my wife came to me though one day. Maybe she turned the corner of the house and she ran over to me. She's like, Clay, Jude just hurt himself. Oh my gosh, it's really, really bad. He's in a lot of pain. We gotta get him to the hospital right now. She's freaking out. She's in a panic. What would I do? Imagine, what would I do in that moment? How would I respond? Would I look at my wife and say, babe, babe, it's fourth quarter. It's, you know, fourth quarter of this game. We got a real nail biter going on right here. Maybe we can just wait till the game's over and then maybe we can think about taking him down to the ER or something like that. Would, would I respond to my wife and say, babe, there's like, there's 20 minutes left in this movie. Like, this is a really good movie. Can I please just see the end and then we'll figure something out? Or, or would I respond to her and say, okay, you know, let me actually pull my calendar out on my iPhone. Let's see, maybe in the next day or two, we can run him by, you know, the emergency room, all that. No, I wouldn't do any of that. What would I do? If she turned the corner and said, he's hurt, he's hurt bad, we need to go now, I would get up right where I'm at. Boy, I would get everyone in the car. We'd run down to the hospital as fast as we could. Why would I do that? Because I love my boy. Like, I love my boy. And in that moment, his well-being and his health would be of paramount importance to me. I, I, I would be so concerned, I would rush to get up, we'd get in the car, and we'd get down to the hospital just as quickly as we could. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to file that away for just a second. Because in John chapter 11, it opens up with word reaching Jesus that Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, was sick. 
Now, other than the inner circle of Jesus, which was Peter, James, and John, truthfully, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are like his next best friends. His absolute easy, anyone, any scholar would, would support this, his, his best friends. I mean, he's close with these people. And clearly, the sisters knew that Jesus has the ability to heal Lazarus. That's why they sent word to him in the first place, assuming that Jesus would get word and then rush back to where he was so that he could heal him in time before he passes away. After all, Jesus loved Lazarus. And when you love someone, that's what you do, right? You, you rush to the aid of someone you love. You don't waste time. I would rush to help my son. I love my son, but surely Jesus is more loving than me, right? That's probably why it's really shocking when we get down to verse six, and it says, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, we have to be careful here because John, the writer, he's not telling us that Jesus was just really busy. You know, it's not like Jesus was on a speaking tour and he had a couple more stops he had to make. And I just, I just, I'm really busy. That's not what John's saying. John's not even saying that, you know, Jesus couldn't catch a flight out, you know, and he's on standby and he's having to wait for an open seat on the next plane. That's not what he's saying either. What John is telling us is that Jesus intentionally didn't go anywhere. He intentionally just stayed where he was for two more days. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Here, here's, can I just give you a little bit of an English lesson, if that's okay? My wife's an English major, so I can't help it at times. I want you to notice the little word in the passage, so. So. If they wanna throw it back up in verse six, you can, you can see it right there, that word, so. This little word right here, it presents what's caused cause and effect. You see, cause and effect right here. What follows the word so is the effect. What precedes it is the cause. So, so let me give you an example. If I were to say this, if I were to say, I am hungry, so I ate. The effect is me eating. The cause was me being hungry. Everyone, everyone following along right now? So is what separates the two. So in the case of John chapter 11, the effect is that Jesus waits two more days. That's the effect. So what's the cause? What, what, what's before the word so? Well, we see it in verse five. This is the cause when it said Jesus loved these three. Wait a second. So Jesus loved these three, so he waited two more days. Again, again you're like, wait, what? He loved them so much. These are my best friends. So I'm just gonna stay right where I'm at until Lazarus dies. Like, seems a little counterintuitive, doesn't it? Seems a little interesting, like how do, you, how do you like that for a demonstration of love? Man, I love you, Lazarus. Man, I love you so much, man. Tell you what, I'm just gonna wait right here until you die, and then we'll, we'll sort something out. You're like, what is Jesus doing? Right, what in the world is going, why would love prompt Jesus to wait instead of rushing to his friend's side? But let's keep working backwards, maybe. Let's, let's see some things. Verse four, it says, when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Here, here's what I, 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 I mentioned that when we kind of got past it in our original reading, but here's what I want you to see because this is a powerful thought as we study scripture tonight. Watch this. Jesus knew that his friend's illness would result in death, it's not, but it's not gonna end in death. He knows his friend, it's gonna result in death, but it's not gonna end in death. I need you to understand tonight, there's a difference between the results you see and what's actually the end. 
See, some of you, even right now, in your different circumstances and situations, you're seeing bad results. Just because you see some bad results in life doesn't mean that's the end of the book. Jesus knew, yes, this is gonna result in death, but this is not the end for Lazarus. I can approach life knowing that with great confidence that no matter what I am in the middle of, no matter what valley I am walking through, this may be a really bad time and a really bad result, but this does not have to be the end in Jesus' name. Just because you got a result doesn't mean it's the end. And he wanted Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the disciples to experience something they've never experienced before. Because here's what they have experienced before. They have experienced Jesus healing people. So if Jesus would have showed up on day two and healed them, that would have been nothing that they had not already seen and experienced for themselves. But in this particular instance, Jesus is saying, I'm about to show you and give you something you've never experienced yet. And so he waits two more days. He waits two more days to experience something greater. Jesus uses this miracle to help his disciples and these two women take a really big step forward in developing saving faith in Jesus. I wanna skip down to verse 15 right now. Look at verse 15 when Jesus says, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. I'm really glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. I believe this is gonna come up on the screen because this might help you follow this train of thought right here. Watch this. Jesus' delay led to Lazarus' death which led to Jesus' miracle, which led to faith, which always leads to God's glory. Maybe that will help some people understand because I really, my, my, my message tonight has two main thoughts and, and we're developing the first one right now and then I'm gonna give you the second one kind of towards the end. Just two main thoughts, it should be easy, super digestible for everyone. But, but this is kind of helping us with the first main thought tonight. Jesus' delay led to a death, which led to a miracle, which increased people's faith, and our faith always leads to God getting the glory, right? So here's the first main thought tonight, if you just wanna write these two main thoughts tonight. The first main thought that we see in this passage is this, is that Jesus sometimes demonstrates his love by delay. Sometimes he demonstrates his love by delay. Think about it like this. If we would have written this script, if you and I would have written this story, we would have settled for so much less than all that Jesus gives us right here. Like if you and I would have written this story, it would have been like this. Jesus gets word that Lazarus is dying. Jesus like, shoot dudes, saddle up on the donkeys. We're going back to Judea, right? They go back to Judea. He's there in two days. He heals Lazarus. They throw a big party. Everyone's like, Jesus, you're awesome. This is amazing. You're incredible. They're dancing. They're having a good time. And Jesus did another miracle. That's how we would have written it. Imagine what all we would not have gotten had you and I written this story. But because Jesus is the one doing the writing of this story, uh, in the middle right there, we, we get things like when he declares for the first time ever, I am the resurrection. We would have never gotten that if we were writing it. And, and, and in the middle of all of this, people's perseverance is built and their faith is lifted and, and they learn new things about Jesus and he's helping them grow and mature and be better believers and be more like him. But if we had written the story, we wouldn't have had any of that. Jesus is helping them and in, in this moment, he's demonstrating love through delay. He gave them the gift of advancing their faith 
and drawing that much closer to eternal life in him as the son of God. I wrote this down. It's like the child who lives in the immediate now. We should all probably understand this, right? My five-year-old son, Jude, that I've been talking about tonight, um, he's five years old. Uh, The problem is that he like right now has the appetite of a teenager. So I'm kind of actually worried about when he is a teenager because I don't think I can afford it. And so God's gonna have to do something, right? Like, Lord, just multiply this bread in Jesus' name. Uh, Multiply these eggs and this milk, right? Um, Because he's just eating all the time. He just always wants to snack, snack, snack. He's just, he's always like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. I'm like, dude, you cannot be hungry. I just saw what you ate 10 minutes ago, right? But he's like, I'm always hungry. He wants to snack all the way up to dinner time. Now, my wife, Bethany, she's very planned out. And so she plans out our dinners, like at the start of a week, we, we know what we're eating for dinner like that, that week, right? We shop for it, we get it. She's a great cook. And uh, so she plans it all out. And, I, and here's Jude, this is what happens in our house around five o'clock um, every day. Jude comes in towards the kitchen. Maybe Beth is preparing some dinner and Jude's like, I'm hungry, I want a snack, I want a snack, I want a snack. And what do we say? We say what most parents say. No, you're not getting a snack. Like, like it's gonna spoil your dinner. It's going to spoil your dinner. You're not getting a snack. Of course, he does not like that verdict. So he tries to fight us over and over and over again. And there always comes this moment where Bethany, you know, kind of looks at him and she's like, Jude, 10 minutes. Just, just give me 10 minutes. In 10 minutes, dinner will be ready and it'll be better than any snack I could give you right now. Just go away and come back in 10 minutes, right? But what do our children want? No, 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 I'm hungry now. I'm hungry now. Go away, come back in 10 minutes. It'll be better. I could give you some crackers now, but the dinner's gonna be better than these little crackers. Just go away, come back, it'll be better. No, 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 I'm hungry now. You know what I've learned? That's how a lot of people want their blessings. Now. I want it now. I want my blessing now. And sometimes you don't understand that God is over here cooking something up. And if you could just wait and be a little delayed at times, it's gonna be far better than anything he might just be able to throw you away. Like, like we gotta get past being like little kids and just wanting it now. Imagine what we're learning throughout the process as the Lord loves us enough sometimes to delay a little here and there. And so in this instance, he demonstrates love through delay. He teaches us things like perseverance and faithfulness, things that are transcendently important for us as believers. Look what it says in Romans chapter five, a very very familiar passage. It says, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that, watch, we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope. You know what the problem with you and I is? Is that if we were to write the script of our own lives, most of us would never get to hope because you would remove every bit of suffering and every bit of delay out of your life. But when you do that, you never get perseverance, you never get character, you never get hope. That's why it's better when you let Jesus run things. That's why it's better when we trust that Jesus knows what he's doing. Even in moments when you can't, you, you can't see him working or you don't feel like he's working, you gotta trust that he is working and he's ultimately gonna get you to hope. Hope, hope is the goal, right? Hope is the goal. Don't, we don't wanna eliminate suffering. We don't wanna eliminate delay. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, some of you are like, man, this is a weird message. I'm not saying that we all go home tonight and we thank God for another day of suffering. 
Dear Lord of hosts, I just want to thank you today for all of the suffering that I had to endure. God, what an amazing day. I'm glad that out of all the human beings on earth today, you chose me to suffer the most. This is quite amazing, God. You're, you're awesome in this way. And God, I also, while I'm here, I just want to thank you for another day of unanswered prayer. That's just so great of you. I know I've been praying it for years now, but I just want to thank you again that there was yet not an answer uh, today. And like, I'm not, that's weird. It's weird. Don't do that. It's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we all go home, we give God a hand clap for more and more suffering. It's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that you go home and you thank God that he loves you enough to walk with you through a delay so that on the other side, you can be better, more mature, and more like him. Now understand what I said right there, that he loves you enough to walk with you through the delay. The fallacy would be to believe that he's abandoned you in the midst of it. It's not the case. He's with us, never leaves us, never forsakes us. Yea, though even I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. He's with us even as he at times delays us. As the band gets ready and we kind of close up tonight, I told you I had two main thoughts. So the first one is that sometimes Jesus demonstrates his love through delay. The second one, we're gonna look at verse three to go back and, and kind of catch. We see something very interesting, and I don't know if you've ever uh, seen this passage or, or maybe read it this way. Maybe this has never stood out to you, but it definitely stood out to me as I was kind of studying and examining John chapter 11, and it says this in verse three. It says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, and they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. Now, when I read that, I thought to myself, that's really interesting phrasing. It's interesting, it's, it's unique. The one that you love is sick. As they're pleading with Jesus to come and do a miracle, the one you love, the one you love, the one that you love, the one that you love, the one that you love is sick. Now, now let me just say this. If my wife, closest person on this earth to me. If, if she was ill and dying and I'm writing a letter to Jesus, I'm sending word to Jesus, maybe through a letter or an email, asking him to come and heal my wife who is on the verge of passing away. Here's basically what I'm gonna do. I, I'm probably gonna do exactly what you would do. I'm like gonna pour out Bethany's righteousness resume. God, she, she's such a good person. She does so much good stuff, Lord. She's an amazing mom. She's an amazing believer. God, she's in church every Sunday, Lord. She's paying her tithes. God, she's helping people. She's giving to the poor. She's praying for people. She's really, really, really generous, really courteous to others, really kind, really compassionate. Like, like I'm gonna say everything I can think to say to in some way try to entice Jesus that she is worth saving. God, she loves you so much. Lord, she loves you, she's amazing, she's, she's all of these things. Jesus, please have compassion on her. She loves you, she loves you. But take note of the phrasing. They didn't say, Lord, Lord, Lazarus loves you so much, please come and heal him. They didn't say, they said the one you love. The one you love is sick. You know, one of the remarkable things about John's gospel, the writer and disciple John, is that later in this same book, he refers to himself 
as the one whom Jesus loves. He says that of himself. A lot of people have a laugh at that. I mean, that's getting that kind of that kind of weird, kind of prideful, kind of whatever, you know what I mean? Like that's weird to say of yourself. Like he refers to himself, I, I'm the one that he loves. Watch this, John's not saying he loves me more than you. It's not what he's saying. This isn't like some comparison kind of thing about love and Jesus, it's not what he's, he's doing. What's happening with John is that he just feels so loved. Watch this, if you will catch this tonight, this will change your life. I'm confident of that. He feels so loved that, watch, it becomes the primary way he designates himself. Church, what these two things show us, the one that you love, the one that you love, and John saying, I'm the one that he loves. What they show us is that as human beings, it is possible to ascend to such a place in our relationship and revelation of Jesus Christ that the primary way you label yourself, designate yourself, classify yourself, and categorize yourself is I am the one that he loves. I'm the one that he loves. If you can catch it, it'll change you. Imagine how people walk around the earth though identifying with God. Maybe you've even been in one of these places before. A lot of people say, well, I, I'm the one that he's angry with. I'm the one that he's disappointed in. I'm the one that he could do without. I'm the one that he probably regrets even making. I'm the one that has failed him countless times. I'm the one that he's looking to punish. I'm the one that he's looking to get revenge on. I'm the one that he's sick of. I'm the one that he wishes wasn't here. Can I tell you the truth tonight amidst all those lies? You're the one that he loves. You're the one that he loves. There's a place that you can get to as a believer that dismisses all those other labels that you no longer have to live in any of those other categories, that you don't have to be classified by any of those other lies. There's a place that you can get to that John got to where I wake up every day and the primary way I think about myself today is I put my two feet on the ground and I go to work and I deal with people and I try to love and build my family, but the primary way I view myself today is I am the one that he loves. I'm the one that he loves. It's really difficult for some of us though because you've never felt a love like that. My mom and I, who was here, we were talking the other day about some of this, you know, and every family has its tough pasts. There's moments in our family history, in our family tree, where, where there's been abuse of, of different kinds. And so from some individuals in a family tree, you have abuse, you have all types of things, even things, even things said like to one another, like, like the worst day of my life was the day you were born. 
things like that. Like that's, but then later in life, that same individual who, who did those horrible things and said those horrible things will say things at a different place in life, like, hey, I love you. And that's really hard to reconcile sometimes. If you love, if, wait, what? If you love me, then why did you fill in the blank? You really, if you really love me, then why do you treat me like fill in the blank? See, the truth of the matter is, is just amongst us human beings, we have a really difficult time sometimes with this love stuff. And, and so then you get into God and his love for you and you struggle with it because really all you've ever seen is people who've done you wrong, but then use the love word and you're like, how do I reconcile all this? He loves you though, like no one else does. Like I said before, when we were praying, even before I, I began to teach, he sees all your sin more clear than anyone else, yet he loves you more than anyone else. Loves you unconditionally. John 3, 16 would tell us that he doesn't just love us, he so loves us, so, so loves us. It's like a different kind of love. It's an extravagant type of love. And I just believe that you'll never really, I, I, I honestly, this is a bold statement. You'll never be a mature believer until you can fully grasp and, and, and understand and receive genuinely the love that God has for you. That he, that he really does love you so much. And the thing about this is that if you can grasp his love for you and you can begin to confidently identify yourself supremely as I'm the, like I'm the one that he loves, that's how you see yourself. That's how you view yourself. That's how you approach every day. I'm the one that he loves today. Some of you, you gotta write this you know, on, on your window as you're getting ready in the morning, on your mirror, you know, in, in your car, put it down somewhere because literally you gotta start your day. I want you to get out of bed tomorrow when that alarm goes off, when that iPhone goes off, and I want you to say to yourself, I am the one that he loves today. What would that do for us? I want you to throw up 1 John. Throw up that 1 John passage if they have it. What is it, 1 John? Chapter four, look at this. Talking about the love of God. There is no fear in love, speaking of his love, but perfect love drives out fear. If you can begin to understand the love that God has for you and you can operate in that and receive that, what happens is that there's a whole lot of benefits that come with his love. One of the benefits is that you no longer have to approach life with fear and timidity and anxiety and depression and worry about the future because his perfect love drives all that out. Like, like, take a look at what it says. Take a look at everything else that is taken care of when you just understand his love for you. His perfect love for you. Fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Seems too good to be true, but that's his love. Some of you are gonna have a hard time still for the next little bit really wrapping your head around this because it just seems too good to be true. But isn't that what Paul prays for in Ephesians? Like, like he, isn't that what he's praying for when he says in Ephesians chapter three that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that his love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I'm the one that he loves. 
I just want you to say it. Just, just say it. Say it after me on the count of three. I'm the one. Say it on the count of three. One, two, three. I am the one that he loves. And the only way we could ever love like him is if we realize how much he loved us. He loves so much. How, how, how deeply does God really love humanity? Watch this. He, it's unfailing love. He loves people knowing that many will never love him back. It's deeper than any love I got. If I knew, I mean, let's just be real about our depravity and, and who we are as human beings. Like if I knew in advance, you're never gonna love me back, probably not gonna waste a whole lot of love on you. But yet he loves knowing that some will never receive him, never want him, always reject him, choose to live life without him, but he'll still love him every second of every day. It's a different type of love, isn't it? Let me pray for you right now and then we'll be, uh, we'll be dismissed. But right now, just with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you've, if you've struggled, maybe, I don't know, and I don't even know kind of what to say in this moment, but like if, if this message, if the Holy Spirit was speaking to you as we were unpacking God's word tonight and you just felt like tonight, maybe for the first time in a long time, just like a sense of the love of God, maybe the peace of God was just kind of coming over you. Maybe it just felt overwhelming. Maybe you've struggled with this love stuff in the past. Maybe, maybe love has been a, a sore spot for you because of the people and how, in your world and how you've been treated and how it's looked in your family and it's just looked all sorts of messed up and, and difficult and, and, and you've had a really a rough time with love. But tonight, the love, perfect love of God is just really flowing over you. It would just be my privilege just to pray with you before we go. If that's you and the Holy Spirit speaking to you in a special way, I just want you to, on the count of three just to lift your hand just so I know kind of who I'm praying for. Just one, two, three, just put your hand in the air. Awesome. Like every section is, is someone represented. You can put it down. Thank you so much. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your love. We thank you that you loved us first. Before, before we ever had an initial thought about giving any love back to you, God, you, already, you, like you were already pouring it out on us. Lord, we thank you for that. Your love is different. Your, your love is unfailing. Your love is perfect. Your love is not double-sided. You don't, you don't say one thing and treat us another way. God, you love us. You are for us. God, you work things out for our good. That's how much you love us. God, I just pray for everyone that lifted their hand right now. Lord, I just pray like a, just like an extra dose of the Holy Spirit would just be on that individual, that family, that, that couple, that, that person, God, this week and in the days ahead, Lord, that, that maybe where they've struggled to receive love in the past, that that would no longer be where they're at, but God, they would now just receive your love, Lord, and, and that none of us would try to, try to earn it. You can just keep your, keep, keep, keep your head bowed just a second, but let me, let, me, let me speak to that for just a second. Have you ever tried to give someone a gift? And, and as you're trying to give them a gift, they're like, oh, well, let me, let me, let me pay you for that. Or you don't have to do that. Let me, here, let me give you some money and let me do this. You're like, no, dude, it's just a gift. 
just, just, just take it. No, please, I insist. I wanna pay you for it. You don't have to. And, and, and the more they push, kind of the more offended you actually maybe get. You're like, this is a gift. Just stop trying to pay me for it. Just take it. Like the more you try to earn his love, it really just kind of turns out a little offensive. Like you don't have to earn it. There's actually nothing you could do to earn it. Just receive it. Just say, Lord, I receive it. Knowing that I did nothing to earn this, but Lord, I receive it because you're a good God and your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts and how you act is not how we act and your character is not like our character. You're different. You're higher. You're greater. You're supreme. Lord, I receive your love. God, may we all receive your love and may it transform us. May it break every fear and worry off of our life. May we not struggle with the days ahead because Lord, now we're waking up with the most confident statement, position and revelation that we could ever have that as I approach every single day, Lord, I am the one that you love. Truthfully, what other encouragement do we even need that day? I'm the one that he loves. God, we love you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Can we thank God for the word tonight? Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.